we'll read the passage and then we'll pray and we'll, we'll dive right in. Romans 10, 13 through 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus, our Lord. We thank you for all that you've done for us, sending your son to die for us. We thank you that your precious Holy Spirit dwells within our hearts, sanctifying us and making us more Christ-like. Father, for those who are saved, who are Christians, would you build them up in their faith? And for those who have not yet become Christians, Lord God, who are still thinking through things and investigating the claims of Christ and Christianity, will they take another step closer to you, Jesus? And would, for someone in here, would today be the day of salvation? Forgive us, O Lord, for all of our sins as we forgive those who have done us wrong. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. On June 19th, 1865, Two years after President Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, General Gordon Granger of the Union Army rode into Galveston, Texas with his soldiers. And there he read to the slaves General Order Number 3, which begins with these words. The people of Texas are informed that in accordance with the proclamation from the executive of the United States, all Slaves are free. From that day onward, June 19th, which just recently became a national holiday, is now known as Juneteenth, or Black America's Independence Day, a day that's now celebrated with good food, family, and discussions about issues relevant to my people's communities, Black America's issues and things that we're still working through. But I want you to imagine with me that you are one of those who have been enslaved. From your earliest childhood memory, all you know is life of enslavement. From sun up to sundown, all you are familiar with is working in a brutal Texas heat and humidity under threat of a slave master with a whip at his hand. And all you want is what? Freedom. That's all you think about. That's all you dream about. When you wake up, the first thought in your mind is freedom. When you're in the sun, picking the cotton and your hands and your fingers are bleeding constantly, you think about freedom. When you go to sleep at night, you think about freedom, and yet no one in your family has ever experienced freedom. All of your relatives have died enslaved, so you begin to think that maybe this is just a dream. Maybe I will go the same route as my people. I'm going to die in slavery. I will never be free. And then one day you're in that field and all of a sudden you hear these horses riding up to you and off steps this general and he tells you and the rest of your fellow black slaves to gather around and he says from the mouth and from the pen 
of the President of the United States, the war has been won. You are now free. Can you imagine hearing those words, the words that you have been praying to hear since you were a child? The war has been won. You are free to go. Can you imagine not only hearing those words, can you imagine being the one to be able to deliver that good news to them? to these image bearers who know that they were created in the image of God and know that due to them being image bearers of God, they were given the right by God himself to live lives of dignity and respect and honor. And you get to tell them that you are free and you can now live a life befitting an image bearer of God. Imagine how that would feel. And yet family, we do know something of this. Why? Because we know what it is to be enslaved to sin and to Satan. That's why Paul says in 2 Timothy, he says, pray for those who are not yet saved. Pray because they're held captive by Satan to do his will. That's why Jesus says who the Son sets free is what? He's free indeed. We know something of what it is to be enslaved to the lusts and passions of our flesh, to the world system, to Satan. And we also know what it is to hear those words of freedom from the mouth of Jesus of Nazareth. If I have set you free, you are free indeed. The only master that you now serve is me. You are free. And we aren't just free just to wait to go to heaven. Jesus, our great emancipator, has given us the emancipation proclamation of his gospel and has told us to go and proclaim this gospel, this good news to those who are still held captive to sin and to Satan. We've been given a holy duty, but a privilege. It is a privilege from God. Why? You guys, sometimes in, a, in our culture, we treat God as if he's this needy God, right? Like God is up there in heaven saying, oh my gosh, I need you guys so much. Like, listen, God is not a needy God. This is the amazing thing, though. God doesn't need any of us. He's self-sufficient in himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They need nothing from us. But God says, I want you. There is a difference. God says, I don't need anyone or anything, but I do want you to join me in the healing of this world. I want you to partner with me as friends, as co-laborers, as Paul says. You guys, this is amazing. God could have sent his angels to preach the gospel, and they may have done a better job than what we do. But God says, no, no, I don't want them, I want you. I want those of you who've experienced my love, my freedom, my joy, my salvation, I want you to come along with me in the healing of this world. The question we have to ask ourselves, though, is are we taking this commission and privilege seriously? Are we obeying Jesus and taking the gospel to the lost, both 
not just here at home, but overseas. And from what I've seen, you guys have encouraged me. I love seeing the work that you're doing overseas in global missions. So praise God for that. The book of Romans, of which our passage is a part of this morning, it's the Apostle Paul's, as my professor uh, explains it. He says it's the Apostle Paul's missionary prayer and support raising letter to the church in Rome. And in chapters 9 through 11, of which our passage this morning is a part of, Paul is addressing this issue of Jewish Israel And he's addressing the question that these Gentile, these non-Jewish Christians are asking. They're saying, hey, Paul, why is it that we non-Jews are accepting your Jesus, your Messiah, in way greater numbers than your fellow Jewish people? Your fellow Jews are rejecting Jesus and we're accepting. What's going on here? Why don't they believe in their Messiah? And Paul is writing about the place of Israel and God's cosmic redemptive plan. And in this chapter, Paul reveals his evangelistic heart. Paul says, my prayer for them continually is that my fellow Israelites would be saved. He says, my my continual prayer to God is for my people. I want my fellow Israelites to receive the Messiah. But I want to back up because in one chapter before, chapter nine, Paul says something. I'm going to ask you a question. It is not rhetorical. I want to ask you a question because as I've had to ask myself, I don't know if I can say the same thing that Paul says. This is what Paul says. He goes, I am telling you the truth. And God, the Holy Spirit bears witness that I'm not lying. I'm not exaggerating. He goes, if I could give up my own salvation so that my Israelites, my Jewish brethren can be saved. I would give up my own salvation so that they can be saved. Let me ask you, if God came to you and said, you know what, if you're black, if you're Irish, Scottish, German, whatever your ethnicity is, he says, listen, if you give up your salvation, I'll save the rest of your people. Who here would take that deal? God bless you. Look at it. He's the only one. No one else. But listen, God says, I'll save everyone else if you give up your own salvation. Who here would do that? Okay, I got one in the back, brother. Two, pray for me because I'm like, there's no way. No way. Listen, Lord, I will pray for them. I will fast for them. I will talk to them. I will love them and do good. I'm not giving up my salvation for nobody. You got the same choice and opportunity that I have, brother. I'm not going to give up my salvation. But Paul says it, though. Paul says, I would be cut off from Christ if they could receive Christ. How amazing is that evangelistic heart? And I do want that heart. I pray, God, give me a heart that says I would sacrifice anything, everything, if only they would come to know Jesus. What are we willing to give up so that others can come to know Christ? Would we give up our reputation of friendship? And I'm not talking about being obnoxious and beating people over the head. That's not what I'm talking about at all. But when it comes to lovingly and humbly living a Christ-like life and opening our mouths and sharing the gospel, what are we willing to give up 
so that others can come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. He writes to the Roman church that the majority of Israel has this zeal for God. They truly do want to serve God, but they don't understand that the way to be right with God is not by keeping the law. They thought in order to be right with God, obey the law. But Paul says, no, they're, 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 they're ignorant. They're, they don't understand that the way to be right with God is not by keeping the law, because guess what? The law of God, the moral law, it condemns not just the Jewish people, but us Gentiles. When we look at the law of God, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had, especially with men. And I say, well, the seventh commandment says don't commit adultery. Oh, I've never done that. I said, okay, that's good. But Jesus says, if you look at a woman and you lust after her, you commit adultery with her in your heart. And the majority of men's face, well, I'm like, okay, so the law convicts us. It condemns us. It shows us that we, none of us are righteous. None of us can keep God's law the way we ought to, the way that we're commanded to. And Paul says, listen, Jew and Gentile, the way to be right with God is by faith in Jesus alone. Why? Because Jesus is the only one who perfectly obeyed God's law in our place. Thought, word, and deed. He's the only one that says, I always do what pleases my father. And he dies for our law breaking on the cross. It is finished. Your debt has been paid in full through my shed blood and my broken body. And then he rises again on the third day. And all who repent, turn from their sin and trust in Jesus Christ, receive forgiveness of sin, receive eternal life, receive, as our sister Hannah says, a beautiful relationship with God the Father because of what Jesus Christ has done. That's the good news. And in verse 13, Paul makes it clear who this message of salvation is for. He says in verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Everyone. Lord, does that mean the person that I can't stand? Yes, that means them. Does that mean the Democrats, Lord? Well, yes, that means them. Does it mean Republicans? Yes, that means them. Those who voted for Trump and didn't vote for Trump? Yes, that means everyone. If the person that you cannot stand, yes, that means them too. And, and it also means us. For some of us, it's easy to offer salvation to others through the gospel, right? But it's sometimes hard for us to receive that same salvation that we offer to others because of the weight of our sins, because of, because of what we struggle with. So saints, if you're in Christ, that means you too. The sin that you can't seem to get over and that still haunts you, yes, the gospel of salvation is for you as well. If you have trusted in Christ, you are forgiven no matter what you've done. There's a problem there's a problem. The gospel's for everyone, but he, there's a problem. I remember going to a community college down in Southern California where I used to live, and I uh, loved going to the college campus and talking with students about Christ. And I remember walking up to this uh, young student, 19, his name was Austin. Really cool guy, and I told him, you know, no bait and switch, hey, I'm here. Uh, I love talking to people about what they believe about God, religion, spirituality. You know, if you're waiting for class and you have nothing to do, would you like to talk? And he was like, sure. He goes, I'm just going to let you know that I'm an atheist. And I was like, well, I love talking with atheists. So perfect. Let's, let's talk. And we started talking and he's bringing up objections. I'm doing my best to answer them. And it was a great conversation. 
amazing conversation. Answer his questions, we go through the gospel together, and at the end of the conversation, I go, Austin, you're 19, you live here in Southern California, and it just had, it hit me to ask him this, I said, has anyone ever taken the time to speak with you about Jesus and share this with you? And he literally puts his head down, he thinks, he goes, no one's ever talked to me about this. And I said, Austin, you're 19, no one has ever taken the time to talk with you about Jesus. He goes, no, this is the first time I've ever like, heard this. Like, I, I've known bits and pieces, but I've never actually heard it. There are so many people in your lives who knows the facts, right? There's a man named Jesus who died on the cross. He supposedly rose again, but they don't know what that means for them in 2022. They don't know how those facts, those bits of pieces connect to them. And it is your privilege to be able to go to them and help them connect the dots and show why the death of a poor Jewish man on a Roman cross, why that's the most important thing for their lives. And they won't know unless we lovingly share and tell them why that matters to them. But this is the problem, that there are people, if there are people here in America who don't know the gospel, how many more overseas don't know the gospel? And they don't have a church. They don't have a Jordan Valley nearby. They don't have a Bible they can just crack open and read. They don't have Christian friends. The problem is that even though the gospel is for everyone, not everyone has heard the gospel. According to the Joshua Project, it's a Christian ministry, you may have heard of it, an unreached people group is a people group among which there is no indigenous community of believing Christians with adequate numbers and resources to evangelize that people group without outside assistance. According to the Joshua Project, there are 17,406 people groups with 7,402 of those people groups unreached, which means that 42.5% of Earth's people groups have yet to be reached for Christ. Let's go further. Sadly, according to the Wycliffe Bible translators, there are 7,360 languages in the world with the full Bible being translated into 704 of those languages, which means that one in five people are still waiting for the entire Bible to be translated into their own language. And what I'm about to say, this is not a guilt trip. This is something that, again, I have thought about. I look on my bookshelf and I see how many Bibles there, some of them collecting dust. And I think to myself, how often am I actually reading the scriptures? Do I honor, do I, do, am I thankful to God that I actually have a Bible to read? And how many Christians worldwide and non-Christians would love to have just one copy of the scriptures, even in the King James Version? And there's nothing wrong with the King James, I'm just saying. They would take any translation of the Bible if they can just read God's word. One last thing, according to the Joshua Project, there are 7.84 billion people on earth with 3.27 billion on earth still unreached for Christ. So that's about 
of Earth's population that doesn't know that God loves them so much that he sent his son to die and save them, die for them and to save them. They don't know that they're still in their sins and they don't know that they're still on the way to a very real place called hell, the lake of fire. And that's tragic. And let me say one thing, because I think our dear sister Hannah, I'm going to use Hannah's uh, testimony again. She says something I really want to reiterate. When we talk about hell, there is a way to do it that's totally unbiblical. You can say the facts, but it's not right. Some people seem to revel in talking about it. This is a subject that I don't like talking about. I don't think anyone likes talking or thinking about the doctrine of hell. So when we talk about it, we have to realize that everyone we talk to about this, that we are image bearers of God first. So often when we talk about us in relation to God, what's the first place we go to? We go to Genesis chapter three. We go to the garden. We go to the fall. That's not where the Bible starts. The Bible starts in Genesis one, where God looks at humanity and he says, it is good. And here's something I love. In Genesis one, when God is creating, right? And after each day of creation, what does he say about the creation? What is his statement? It's good. But when he creates mankind, male and female, equal image bearers and representations of God, what does he say? Very good. Say it again, sister. It's very good. Y'all, God forms Adam, right? Breathes into Adam, takes Eve out. Boom, creates him. And God looks at Adam and Eve and says, it is very good. For those of you who've had children, when you look at your child, and we're not going to talk about if they're objectively beautiful, but because there are children, we look at our children, and what do we say? This is flesh for my flesh and bone of my mom. This is me. You look at your child and you can't believe that here's this child, your baby, and your heart fills with love. Y'all, if us as sinful humans feel that way, how much more does God look at us? And he says, I love you. I love you. Humanity, I love you. Jesus would rather die than to be without us in eternity. God says, I love you. So when we talk about hell, we must realize that we're talking about image bearers that God loves and that God has sent his son to save because he loves you. He loves the world for God Love the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son so that whoever would believe in Jesus would not perish in hell, but have eternal life. For God did not send Jesus into this world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. But why? It goes on verse 18. For those who don't believe in the son are condemned already. He's come to save. Now, I know when I talked about hell, some of you may be thinking, well, that doesn't seem fair that those who have never heard the gospel will go to hell. 
And I completely understand why people may think that way. But let me just explain that there is something that the Bible calls general revelation. That is the knowledge of God, the knowledge about God that we receive from creation and our own conscience. And according to the Bible, it says that humanity knows that God exists just by virtue of being image bearers of God. The same way that this building points to a builder, a painting points to a painter, creation points to a creator. That's why Psalm 19, Romans 1, Psalm 14, no one has an excuse to deny God's existence. It says that we know in the moral, the moral fool says in their heart, there is no God. But not just that, we have a conscience. You don't see animals setting up court systems and trying other animals. There's something about humanity where we know right from wrong as well. We have this conscience, this innate knowledge of right and wrong by being in the image of God. So even for those who haven't heard about Jesus, they still sin against the light and knowledge that they have about God. And they still sin against their own conscience and their own innate sense of right and wrong. Listen, they don't go to hell because they haven't heard of Jesus. They go to hell like anyone else because they've sinned against God and against the light of the knowledge that they have. And let me just ask this one question. If people go to heaven automatically, if they don't hear about Jesus, what is the worst thing that we can do for them? Tell them about Jesus. If people automatically go to heaven, then don't give to the church in Nairobi. Stop giving money. Like, take back your pledges today. Leave them alone. Don't talk to anyone about Jesus. Don't say, God bless you. Who's God? No, don't. No, you didn't hear anything. Leave them alone. But we know that's not true. Paul says in verse 17 of our passage that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, hearing by the word of Christ. We know that's not true, and that's why we pledge, and that's why we give sacrificially. We pray, and we go, and we send, and we translate the Bible, and we build churches, and we share the gospel because we know that all must hear the gospel. They must hear about Jesus Christ and place their trust in him if they are to be saved. And then Paul asks the Roman church and us in verses 14 and 15, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? Jesus tells each and every one of us in John 20, verse 21, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. I love that verse. Jesus says, as the Father sent me into the world, so I now send you as my disciples out into the world, into your workplaces, your families, your circle of influence, your friends. He sends us to share his gospel with those, again, across the street from us, but also those across the sea from us. And we have his promise that as we share the gospel, those whom the Father has chosen will hear, and they'll respond in repentance and faith, by calling on the name of the Lord for salvation. And I love the last part of our passage. How beautiful is, or as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. 
Why? You know, imagine if General Gordon Granger never rode into Galveston, Texas in 1865, and he never told those slaves that you're now free. I don't think the slave owners would have, out of the goodness of their heart, told the slaves, oh, you know what, you're actually free now. They would have remained in bondage. Imagine the three, what happens if those 3.27 billion people never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? This is not playtime, it's not a game, this is urgent. It's life and death, it's eternity. It's eternity. We will all stand before God and give an account. This is serious. Serious enough that our Savior died to rescue all those who would trust in him alone. And Christian, listen, you have beautiful feet. You already have it because you're in Christ. The question is, are you using those beautiful feet of yours? if not physical beautiful feet, spiritual beautiful feet in God's eyes, and are you using it to take the gospel to those who don't yet know Christ? And please hear this. Please grab a hold of this. We don't go out of guilt or out of shame or out of, oh, I guess I have to do it. We go because God loves us and we love him. We go because we want to see God glorified. We go because the thought of anyone dying unforgiven by God should terrify and break our hearts. We go to others because Jesus, whose beautiful feet were pierced for us on that cross, his beautiful feet came to us first. Why do we love God? Because he first loved us. Why do we go? Because Jesus came first to us. We go out of love for God and out of love for neighbor. And listen, if you're interested in talking more about missions or how can you get involved, whether going, praying, financially supporting, talk to Pastor John. Talk to me. We would love to discuss and help and show. There are people who say, hey, I don't have the finances. I don't, I can't go. Well, let me talk to you about some prayer requests for missionaries. Even if you can't go, you can't give. If you can give a dollar, praise God. If you can just pray. I've told people, hey, pray every night for this missionary, this project. We can all be involved in what God is doing among the nations. And if you're here, you're here today or you're listening to this later on and you're not a Christian yet. The Bible promises that if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. What does that mean? It means to acknowledge your sin to God. Listen, God already knows. We don't have to hide it from him. It's like when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they went and hid. Like God knows where you're hiding. It's like when my kids go and hide and, you know, they're hiding on the table and their feet are sticking. I'm like, where can you be? <laughs> kind of the same thing. God's like, oh, where are you? I see you right there. Acknowledge your sin to God and ask him to forgive you for your sins and put your complete trust in Jesus alone. God loves you. That's what this table here symbolizes. It points to his broken body for you. His blood poured out for you. Trust in Christ today, the one who died and rose again, and God promises you will be saved. Before we pray out, 
Listen to these lyrics from this rapper named Lecrae, one of my favorite Christian rappers down in Atlanta. And he has a song titled Beautiful Feet featuring this another artist named Don Toya from 2008. I, if I'm not mistaken, I think me and Sean Murray bumped this in my car listening at one point. <laughs> the lyrics go, 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 go. Run with those beautiful feet. Go, go, go. You hold the truth that saves, so run and shout it to the world. They can't believe in something they ain't never heard, so go, 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 and run with those beautiful feet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the feet of our Jesus, of our Savior, were pierced for us. He came to us. He said he came to seek and to save the lost. Father, would we obey the call continually? May we take these beautiful feet of ours and spread the good news of the gospel. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your broken body and shed blood for us. Father, save those here who are not yet Christians. Lord, would you show them how much you desperately, overflowingly love them to the point that you, Jesus, died for them. Lord, we ask for all the missionaries Jordan Valley is supporting. Would you bless them? Would you bless Jordan Valley and everyone here, Lord God? Would you continue to bless them? Would you bless them for their involvement in global missions? Thank you, Lord, for just the encouragement this congregation is. Would many end up in the kingdom because of the partnership of JVC? Lord, we love you and we thank you. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.